Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Keep the main thing the main thing. Win first. Once you win, everything else will take care of itself. That lion's mentality. I don't got the biggest bite, not the tallest, not the strongest, but my bravado, my the way I carry myself, the way I I prepare is just going to be on a different level because my vision was different. So I know we different. I consider myself to be a chameleon. Like you put me anywhere, bro. Like the hustler in me, that collar pog in me, bro. I'm going I'm to figure it out. We at your restaurant, Legendary Cam Newton. We in the middle of enjoying this beautiful meal. Man, appreciate you for coming, man, and, and being able to highlight and tell my story for what it's for. And I can vouch, the food is, this is really happening in real time. <laughs> so this is not just for the cameras. This yeah, is really cauliflower happening. was legit. Cauliflower was lobster excellent. Was legit. The lobster was excellent. So, you know, a lot of people have restaurants, and it's like, just for show. This yeah. is actually a real No, this, this situation. is real. Like, I, uh, you know, shout out to VJ, no, BJ for you know really taking a chance on us um and it was kind of like a mutual kind of partnership where i know my vision for any type of establishment was i want to curate it how i see it not what somebody else has already done and uh i'm an avid traveler been a lot of different places la new york uh paris uh in in I was just always snapshotting different kind of uh, niches of restaurants and spaces. And I was like, yo, like, I was just not getting into cigar smoking. And I was like, why isn't there, there a restaurant that you can, that you can smoke? It's funny because I was like, one of the campaigns we was going to do for fellowship is like, make America smoke again. <laughs> you know? But back in the 50s, like you could, you could smoke and, you know, it yeah. was just one of those things, right? Socially acceptable. Correct. But now all these permits and things like that. But, um, you know, BJ, BJ came on board and curated a, a, a menu that was real food, steak, lobster, uh, or, you know, you could keep it, you know, ratchet as we like <laughs> being in Atlanta or you just want to eat hot wings. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So being in an establishment where I, I call it the Harlem Renaissance, not the Boogie Down Bronx or, or, or something like that, where black excellence is seen at the, the highest level. You know, when you walk around, you know, fellowship on any given night, this is a place you can network. This is a place you can socialize. This is a, you know, a, a ladies night out, a fellas night out. Or you just want to come to a solid space to, uh, you know, enjoy and take care of some business. Yeah, that, that Harlem Renaissance piece is evident. We've been here a few times, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, talk about how you've curated the days uh, of fellowship. I know that, you know, there's jazz that can play. Like, we don't see that in modern day, right? We can't yeah. go into a spot and this spoken word happening or there might be jazz happening one night. How intentional were you about making sure the schedule was laid out like that? Well, the name fellowship was always something that derived from my roots. And, um, you know, the GM of the space is, is my older brother. So, you know, was thinking about names and doing this and doing that. I don't want to call it Cam Newtons and, and, and 
Cam Newton's bar and grill. No, nah, <laughs> <laughs> it don't take no no creativity, no originality. That, you yeah, know what I'm saying? Yeah. And then uh, you know, me growing up in the church uh, and still having Christianity roots near and dear to me, we felt like fellowship was something that brought people together. Yeah. But in the South, we say it how you should spell it, but nobody was spelling it how you say it. So it was like, not, not saying fellowship, it was fellowship. And then it was like, yo, yeah, that's it. You know, we want to bring people together. And then all in all, you know, with that, obviously the encrypted um, wording is the tone in itself too. So a lot of athletes and entertainers start restaurants, it's mm-hmm. very popular probably the most popular business that um, people start, but a lot of them aren't successful mm-hmm. as restaurateurs. So the business is something that's extremely difficult. I think it's like one of the most difficult businesses to be successful in like a 90% failure rate. Right. How have you been able to be successful in business and what are some of the business lessons that you've learned from running this? Um, easy way of putting it. It's either profit or loss, asset versus a liability. And what's the numbers that come into it, right? Mm -hmm. So when I do my rubric of each and every month, if I don't see we order 40 to 80 lobster tails, and if I do the numbers of forecasting how much we're supposed to make, and if that don't match what we made, somebody to steal it, somebody either giving it away or that, that food spoiled. So when you look at having a three-headed monster as a, a restaurateur, not only are you a nightclub or a lounge, you are a restaurant and then also your tobacco cigar uh, establishment too. So all these different things you got to take into mind and making sure that if I'm giving this away or somebody's paying for this, it's, I'm making my percentages off of that. And a lot of times when, not just athlete, uh, athletes or entertainers, when people go into that business, they don't, they don't have that understanding of crunching their numbers in a way where they know at each and every month, I'm either making a profit or I'm losing. Because the restaurant, in- the restaurant industry isn't an industry that you just go broke after one weekend. It's years of mismanagement of money, and then, boom, you left the mm. So you said something to us. You didn't have financial advisors mm-hmm. guiding you. So one would think, well, where are you getting this business acumen from? When you're talking about overhead, you're talking about food costs, and you have this beautiful establishment, yeah. where are you getting the business savvy from? Is that something you developed high school, watching people, college, or as a professional athlete? Like, number one, bro. Still to this day, I, I've never been like a a, a book reader, right? Mm-hmm. I read books, but I wouldn't consider like as I mature as a man, that's just something that I I never did until like adulthood. I would look at documentaries, and the best businessmen that ever lived or still living today are drug dealers, right? I would look at documentaries of, of, of drug kingpins and see how they would crunch numbers and do certain things. One of my favorite uh, persons to kind of 
model or was inspired most about was Frank Lucas and how he was able to kind of cut out the middleman because it was in essence overhead, you feel me? But we doing it with a different commodity. Mm-hmm. We doing it with food, we doing it with tobacco, we doing it with liquor, we doing it with comparing and contrasting. Well, if this vendor is going to charge us 17%, this other vendor may only charge us 7%. Why are we still doing business with 17%? See what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've always was able to peep people, right? And I'm not afraid to say, like, I really have, um, you know, people in my life that I look up to. They may not know I look up to them, mm-hmm. but I just peep how they move and, and, and I try to incorporate that into my everyday lifestyle, you know, to the degree where I need to think like a boss. I need to act like a boss, hold myself to these type of standards. And if I don't know, I'm willing to read about it or learn about it in a way that has helped me be the person who I am today. Uh, I'm actually reading this book right now called Narconomics, which is how to run a drug cartel. And it's talking about, it talks about the corporate model and cartels Mm. and how you can relate it to corporate America and very interesting. Book. By no means am I telling anybody to sell drugs. But no, 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 but I'm just saying it's a lot of parallels I'm that can to be done as far no. as marketing. And- <laughs> Elon Musk said it best. Like, the people who should be teaching business in America should be drug dealers. He didn't say it to that degree, but you can kind of paraphrase it for what it's worth. Like, mm-hmm. that's true. Like, when you're talking about a nickel bag or you're talking about a kilo, like, whatever the hell you want to kind of bring about it, you're not making money if you're not getting no profit from it. So everything that I have from, it could be fellowship, it could be Smoky Stallions, it can be the end zone, or it could be Iconic Saga, my production company, it could be Mashika Hats, it could be, you know, uh, the Cardinal Way, transportation. Like, it still comes down to the core essence of business. Am I making profit? And how am I doing that? I want to ask you, so you are not only a great athlete, but you are a quarterback. That's a very special position Mm -hmm. as a leader, a leader of men. And um, I wonder how that transitions from you leading in business, right? You have to keep morale high at your establishment and with partners and keep the chef happy, keep the bartenders happy, different things of that nature. How are you using your leadership skills that you learned from football in business? Bro, that's everything. And I think I was, that was my internship to business, respectfully. Uh, just spoke with uh, RG3 not too long ago and just talking about, you know, his evolving of managing personnel versus personal at the quarterback position. Quarterback position is probably the only position in sports that is default the leader. Mm -hmm. You look at basketball, it could be the point guard, it could be the center, it could be the forward, it could be, you know, whatever. You look at baseball, is it the pitcher, is it the catcher, is it the, you know, you look at soccer, the forward, like, whatever the hell. But football, the quarterback is unanimously that person that people look forward to to say, how are we doing? You're the leader of this franchise. Right. So as the leader of the franchise, you have to be able to not only communicate with your offensive line, but talking to your offensive line and talking to your receivers is two completely different tones. Talking to your DBs and your linebackers is two completely different tones. Kickers versus running, like it's two different tones. On top of that, talking to your head coach and your GM 
It's two different tones. Oh, by the way, you can also have to report to the owner too because he wants to know what his franchise players doing these days, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So it's so many different things. Oh, and by the way, you have to also tap in with the fans too. So it's so much that, you know, people will look at me and not know my bandwidth of, of the preparation that I've had before I even start even to take business serious, but I was being prepared for it indirectly uh, for a long time. Yeah, it's interesting. The quarterback position and the head coach, those are the only two people that get wins and losses, mm -hmm. right? Those are the only things that travel with you. But in business, either you win or you win, right? Right. right? Or you're going to learn inside that loss. And so as you're developing as an athlete, that's 2015, you're the MVP, you go to the Super Bowl. At what point are you starting to see off-field ventures as something that you need to win at, right? Like, am I now seeing entrepreneurism as something that I need to do outside of just football? Or did it happen a little later in the career? No, I, I, since day one, I always felt like I need to have this kind of vision of holding myself like a businessman, thinking like that from inception, right? Mm -hmm. um, I would always tell people, I was a millionaire way before I had a million dollars in my account. That's just how I thought. That's how I carried myself, and I just knew knew that. By no means was I poor growing up from College Park to G is silent, so I'm from College Park. <laughs> feel me? And, Were they uh, chop cars? Yeah, like all of them. <laughs> Somebody getting robbed right now. You know what I'm saying? As we speak. As we speak. <laughs> but in the words of, of, of uh, uh, a person who's still, don't get caught. Because if you do, boy, oh boy. But needless to say, I think, you know, for me, my whole maturation was just understanding from day one, like, you got to start thinking this way. When I first moved to Charlotte, when I got drafted, I was lucky enough to be neighbors with Michael Jordan. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So, and that's the main reason why I started smoking cigars. I would go, you know, visit him every time. Like next door neighbors? No, like, as you probably can understand. When I say Nate, we were staying in the same building. Okay. okay. But how our building was set up. <laughs> we're in the same building, different floors? Yeah, but he bought out the whole floor. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it was just a. You <laughs> <laughs> get it. Yeah, see you on Different elevator. views. Yeah, different. Yeah, yeah, different. yeah, yeah, yeah. it's, it's okay. a little higher, you yeah. know. That's understandable. Yeah. But when I, would talk, when I would talk to him and I would ask him, like, yo, like, talk to me about business. One of the best advice that he told me was, but keep the main thing the main thing. Win first. Once you win, everything else will take care of itself. Nobody cares about second place, third place. It was making sure that you're becoming the best football player because now when you start to venture off in other different avenues, it will be easy for you to do because so many people know of you because of that. Mm -hmm. So win first. You do do that. And Under Armour mm -hmm. becomes, I mean, prominent. At the time, you're the MVP. Steph's on. He's winning the championship. You got Bryce Harper winning the MVP. It's the height of, of the brand. Right. And you have a collaboration. How did that come about? Uh, and, and what were the inner workings of it? Man, I was an Under Armour athlete pretty much all my career. Because Auburn was an, uh, was an Under Armour school. And uh, I used to be piping my you know what I'm saying? Because I had a whole area in a, in a locker room or the equipment room that was just cam stuff. That's what it was labeled like. Boom. I had exclusive cleats that 
nobody pretty much had, but Under Armour was just throwing that shit for obvious reasons. Like this is the person who is taking on, you know, the college football reigns and we want to make sure that he has everything he needs. And every cleat and every color. And I just kept thinking to myself, I'm like, yo, like, they seeing something that I'm really not seeing in myself. You know, I'm an investment. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And being able to be marketable in that sense, but also staying true to myself was something that was very key to my development. I didn't want to lose myself trying to be this person who I knew I wasn't. You know what I'm saying? So you said something off camera that was interesting. You said you never had a financial advisor. Never. And we hear a lot of horror stories about guys in the league, NFL and NBA, where they have the wrong financial advisor and they end up losing millions, bad deals, or they're not paying their taxes for them. A variety of different stories. It keeps happening every year, unfortunately. Talk about the state of guys trusting bad financial advisors, how that happens, and why did you decide? Because I'm sure every everybody tried to you know, come at you. What, what made you say, I, I don't want to work with any financial advisor? Another asset versus a liability. You know what I'm saying? I also said off camera is like, most people don't ask the simple question of how are you getting paid, right? So of course, a lot of people came to me with ideas like, yo, we want to make sure that you're wealthy for the rest of your life. And I would take what they were telling me and I would implement it myself. You know what I'm saying? It's like, yo, Thanks dude, for the information. Yeah, like, <laughs> you teaching me, you feel me? Like, boom, yeah, I'll, I'll talk to that firm or I'll talk to that person, da, 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 da. They'll put a, um, a presentation together, leave me with like a pamphlet and I'll just read it and be like, yo, like, oh, okay, damn. Like, I'm gonna implement that. But I did it the simplest way that I know, knew how. I just put myself on like a financial budget, like credit card, debit card, or any type of spend where you have a cap, $5,000, $1,000. And I would compartmentalize different checks by different banks, right? So, I mean, the type of money that I was making and still making, nobody in my bloodline could ever relate to. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So I had to start knowing I didn't want to have one pool of money where like all the money is going to one account because I didn't necessarily know what that money was coming from or they would call it the remittance of pay, right? So early on, I would open up accounts, open up different uh, bank accounts because I would know and that's how I I would track. With different banks? With different banks. So I would say I'm going to open up a Wells Fargo account, but that's going to be all the money that I make from the Panthers. Okay, I'm going to open up a Chase account, and not all that will be my marketing money from off-the-field stuff. Then I'll open up a Truist account, and that will be all the stuff that I probably make from my residual income for fellowship. Then I'll open up, you know, they had Wachovia or BB&T, which is not <laughs> Truist, yeah, but yeah. I had, like, so many different things. Bank of America is where, you know, I did other businesses. So when I'm looking at these accounts, I'm also tracking like, yo, like, why are we spending $3,000 here and somebody has to report for that? So I'm, I'm in essence managing my own self. And like I said, I'm not a splurger to the degree where my biggest thing for me, I'll pretty much feel more validated saying, oh, there's a Rolls Royce. 
I can buy two of those, but I don't have a Rolls Royce. Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So that's a flex in itself. Most people would say like, yo, I got the money to buy a Rolls Royce, so I'm going to buy that Rolls Royce and then be broke as hell. <laughs> like, no, nah, that's not something that I wanted to do. Like, so for me, I was always being able to track, okay, what's spending, how is it being spent, and what's coming in. So I have a better understanding of my whole overall business. As Jay-Z said, I'm not a businessman. I'm, I'm a businessman. Yeah. So you don't have the financial advisor, but I would imagine... At some point, did an agent guide you through some contracts? Because when you're an NFL rookie, you're the number one pick. It's already mandated the things you're going to make. Right. But the real issue and good problem to have is that you have a second contract when you outperform the first one. Mm-hmm. And so in the age of guys where we see like today, Lamar Jackson negotiating for himself, were you going through that at the time? Or who, who was walking you through that process of, of NFL contracts? I definitely had agents. I had two agents. Well, really three agents. Three. Um... So I had one agent to look over the other agent, and that agent look over that agent <laughs> to make sure that, boom, everybody aged in the right way. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and then I had a marketing uh, agent as well. Shout out to Carlos with WME. Uh, well, it was IMG at that specific point in time. And, uh, yeah, so I would just always, I'm, 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 I'm deeply rooted in the simple word of accountability, Right. And I hold myself accountable and I hold others who work alongside with me, for me, and who I work for accountable as well, right? So when you're talking about contracts, when you're talking about just money as a whole, it's very important to really weave through the minutia and, and have a source to tell you what the f- does this mean right here? What does perpetuity mean? <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Take that out. You feel me? Like, hold on. Like, what does what does that mean? You feel me? And yeah, of course I had people to kind of, you know, walk me through it. But the football contract was what the football contract was going to be, right? It's, it's like every year we always see it happen, right? Where a quarterback signs for this enormous amount of money. It's, it's, it's capped. You know, not a lot, but it's, it's just capped where you can't go because... The next quarterback up, he's just going to either make a million five more Mm -hmm. or 500,000 more than the next guy. So when you see Jalen Hurts sign for the highest paid deal ever, Justin Herbert is looking like, bro, appreciate you because I'm going to make more than, you know. Joe Burrow does that. Yeah, of course. It just goes just like that. So like I said, football's contracts was always going to be what it was, right? But when you talk about everything outside of football or even investing, so to speak, these are the things that I was really trying to find out. Like, is this a good deal versus is is this a bad deal? And in any capacity. And that led to me understanding, like, yo, I got a business mind. How can I start hiring people to take my vision and execute it? Mm. Right. And I wanted to put language in place that they are protected as well as my business is protected, too. So, you know, having that along the line was just something where, like I said, nobody in my bloodline has ever made the type of money that I made. So I was always 
peeping certain situations and saying like, okay, cool, I'm gonna take that, I'm gonna take this, or, and then implement it into everyday life. So we talked about football contracts, but now it's changed a little bit. We're seeing a lot more guarantee contracts, but mm -hmm. especially when you play, it's very complicated. Uh, Mike Vick signed $200 million contracts. They never got mm -mm. $100 million for either one of those contracts. So mm -mm. it's not like basketball. Like basketball, you sign a contract, you're going to get the contract. Yeah. No matter what. You guys, it's it's not easy for the fans to fully understand that. Then right. you see players that, you know, like even Kelsey when he's arguing, like the fan always looks at it from the players being selfish. Right. But they don't understand the dynamics of these contracts, the NFL contracts. It's not always what, what it seems. No. And then you got, you know, all kinds of different clauses. So can you just shine some light on that? Like franchise tag and all. It's a lot of different things that yeah. makes it complicated. Franchise tag is, in essence, where a franchise kind of protects their star player. And the player agrees to say, well, if I'm franchise tag, that means I'm able to make top 10 money. And it may be one or it may be 10, but for that year, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. When you're talking about football players as a whole, People must understand that on a 53-man roster, out of those 53 players that's on that active roster, only like 42 to 45 of them dress, right? You have to also take into account practice squad players, certain things like that, that everybody's like, yo, you in the NFL? Like, yeah, I'm in the NFL. But out of those 53, 42, 45 players, 10 of them are really getting to the money. To bad. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? And when I mean the money, I'm talking about like, yo, you probably 2.3 mil in a given year uh, or upwards. Everybody else is probably, it's great money. Don't like get six, 600,000. 600,000, a million, um, you know, still great money. Doctor, lawyer type of money, right? Mm -hmm. But the thing where players must, understand or fans must understand we're playing a a sport that you know without a shadow of a doubt you're going to at some point get hurt whether it's a nick whether it's a bruise whether it's a broken bone whether it's a sore bone like you're gonna get hurt it's a physical sport so from the player standpoint you always have to say to yourself depending on the position and the state of the running back position right now is yeah. Because these guys are in a position where it's like, yo, I'm touching the ball 30 plus times a game where a knee blow, a headshot, a shoulder, a rib, these things. It's like I'm not able to be my best version of myself because I'm hurt. So I must get compensated for, you know, the work that I'm putting in. But when you talk about guaranteed money, that's the only thing that matters. Because at that point, that's where you know you're going to get. So people may sign for $400 million, but that guaranteed money may be $125 or whatever. But you also then look at the years. So boom, you may have five-year, six-year contracts, and then boom, you'll shuffle it down where I think Patrick Mahomes is making 40-plus a year. Mm -hmm. A lot of damn money. There's nobody else in that locker room that is making that type of money, rightfully so. But therefore, if he's making that much money, that's why the collective bargaining was in place, because teams like Dallas Cowboys, Miami, uh, New York, 
these big markets, they can sit up here and say, man, come to New York. You can spend it. You know, whatever. Owners aren't able to spend out money that's not associated with, you know, certain things. So it's like, we can't sit up here and say, I'm going to bring you in for 40 mil, but I'm going to also give you five mil. Like, no, that's that's illegal. Can't do that. But when you when you see other contracts or other uh, sports like basketball, who like they're all guaranteed, but they're also taxed the most. And people don't understand that. I don't give a damn if you're an athlete or an entertainer or a regular person. A lot of people, especially in our culture, aren't financially aware of the importance of taxes because Uncle Sam got to get him him. You know what I'm saying? It's going to happen regardless. And it's not even like drugs aren't the biggest addiction. It's the lifestyle, right? It didn't matter if I threw four touchdowns or threw four interceptions. We won, lost, tied. It didn't matter. Every Tuesday at 12 a.m., I was going to get a direct deposit inside my bank. It was like clockwork, right? So I just remember first getting paid and refreshing my account. Like how, how much? How much was that? Oof. The first one like was seven hundred and thirty thousand dollars, and that's the first time that you. I was like, we made like golly, like seven thirty, like seven thirty, like bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, bro. I had to go somewhere by myself, like a room where I was just like, yo, I cannot believe this is like happening because you know, you're not plays like, yo, bro, you gonna give me that like this. They was giving it without even, boom, I'm looking in, boom, it's there. Then all of a sudden when I signed in 2014, like that was like 1.1 every week. Just So now you're talking about balling like an athlete, like, bro, we touching real paper. But now in the latter part of my career, I was like, yo, if I'm making this much money, what the owner making? Because you got to think about it. Parking, concessions, just, a, you know, you see a situation like Jerry Jones who owns the stadium. Ticket yeah. sales. Ticket sales. And then liquor. Oh, and liquor. he owns the stadium all year. <sighs> You're only paying eight, eight games a, a but season. But not only that, it's like a whole nother season that is unmarked cash is the playoffs. Mm-hmm. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. Because you don't, you can't predict that. You can't predict, of course, we all want to go to the Super Bowl. We all want to go to the playoffs. But those games aren't something that you can, in essence, report right away. Because you don't know if you're going to go to the playoffs. You don't know if you're going to host a home game. So I'm just thinking, I'm looking at it like, yo, like, it's a lot of money being made with this whole platform of the NFL. And I only can imagine what the other leagues are are doing. This is a fast financial fact sponsored by Xfinity. This week's fact, economies around the world are interconnected and events in one country can have ripple effects on the global financial markets and trade. For example, the reduced supply of U.S. wheat and corn can lead to an increase in global food prices, affecting consumers and food-related businesses worldwide. 
assets over liabilities is presented by Xfinity. So you had the ownership mindset. You're looking at it. You're starting to see the difference. And rather being on the other end of the spectrum, right, the consumer or the employee, who starts getting you in that mindset of, I need to own, I need to invest? Who, who, who's the first person that starts to put you onto that? Frank Lucas. <laughs> You're pretty obsessed with these uh, drug dealers. <laughs> love it. The Denzel version? Or you knew him prior, prior to American Gangster? Bro, I'm talking about Pablo Escobar, uh, El Chapo. <laughs> El Chapo. Shoot, you talking about like these real kingpins that's, you know, that's, that's, that's Nicky Barnes. Like these folks is, is moving it, but that mentality, you know, you know, the code of American gangster, you know, the white man on him, so he ain't, you know what I'm saying? Nobody knows me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But it was like the power of ownership, right? I try to empower everybody close to me that right there. I mean, obviously you guys have trademarked, you know, earn, earn your leisure. I'm seeing the merch, I'm seeing all these type of things. And now that's a business in itself. So if anybody wants to do anything with earn your leisure, you have to go through the business, right? You can't just pay you and be like, yo, we want to use your like, No, it don't work like that. It's just like somebody saying like, yo, I want to just use Pepsi or Coca-Cola, you know, just to put it on my camp. Like, no, you're going to have to pay for that, right? But that mentality was always there. I didn't necessarily harness it until, you know, the more business that I was just being a, a, a part of. Yeah, so... I asked that because in 2016, there's this up and coming league or fighting league, Ultimate Fighting Championship UFC, mm-hmm. and uh, you become a minority stake investor into that. Mm-hmm. And so, talk about that deal. Full transparency. Um, I tried to put as much as I possibly could in there. As much money as you could. Yeah, they capped me at a quarter mil. You believed in it so much. Yeah, I, it was an interesting. Uh, kind of platform, mm. you know what I'm saying? I'm a, I'm a boxing fanatic, you know, Gervonta, the Floyds, the, you know, Crawfords, like the, the Charlos, the, the Canelo, like the, I love watching boxing, never been to a boxing fight before, but I just love the art, it's like the chess. But then obviously, you know, we would always watch videos in, on YouTube and, and look at the Kimbo slices you know, and, and, and all these, you know, personalities fighting an octagon. And it was it was an opportunity for me in, to invest. And I invested a quarter mil. I tried to invest more. And then a couple of years ago, you know, I get an email. It's like, <coughs> UFC has just been bought out. We're going to cash you out for it. And boom, I was like, okay, cool. Did you have the option to say no? No. No, they bought it. Okay. No, they, they bought it. They sold it. Okay. So we making All sure that it's like somebody just going at the table. Everybody who had a pot, like boom, yeah. boom, boom. Like now everything else is something new, new money, right? Gotcha. And I made a million dollars plus on that. And that was the time where I was like, yo, so, so the, what the hell? Like folks have been doing this for years. Mm-hmm. And I'm just not finding out about this. Like it's venture capital, it's like investments, like and things like that. And it's a slow turn. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But some of those go good, just like yeah. that, and some of them go bad too. So it's just you know knowing the market. So you put that two fifty in, turns into over a million, and then does that make you just want to start investing, angel investing in, in all kinds of different companies? Yeah. 
But I found out quickly that some of the ROIs was a little longer than I was willing to to yeah, wait. It was for. Long, long time frame. Yeah, yeah, it was some of the things was like five years, ten years without any promises. Yeah. You know what I'm saying, Ugh. you know, you hear situations like Ashton Kutcher with Uber. You see or the Nas, Nas, Nas with Ring. You know, those are like home run, like yeah. can't miss. And obviously, hindsight, if they knew. <laughs> what they do now, and obviously a Kobe with a body on yeah, yeah, yeah. like they would have probably invested way more. But truth of the matter is, you just don't necessarily know. Yeah, that's why we just getting educated on VC. They always, I like baseball as an analogy where you just take a lot of hits mm-hmm. and you just hopefully you hit one home run. But you put small bets because mm-hmm. it's like you don't want to put your whole life savings into something. Right. Might, odds are most of them are not going to work out, but the two or three that actually do work out. That makes up for the nine that actually failed. Correct. So that's that's a good strategy. So looking at your your career, because athletes are different, and even we spoke to Rich Paul, we spoke about this. You reach success at a young age. Mm-hmm. Most of the times, like a doctor or a lawyer, like you don't hit your pinnacle until like 50 or 40, and then you work and you 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 know go from middle management to and it's it's a stepping process. But you athletes reach a high level of success and get paid a lot of money, but then it's over. And when it's over, you're, you're, you're still young. A lot of people struggle with that. So how was that for you as far as the transition? Your career is over, but you're just really starting life, right? Yeah, man. And, and it makes you really, you know, press pause on a lot of different things and, and make you aware of mental health because it's a lot of emotions that kind of go about it, being able to tell yourself, you gotta be a little cuckoo to tell yourself that I have to perform, whether I'm sick, whether I feel good, whether I just got dumped, whether my baby mama's suing me, whether my wife is, you know, to just go out there and perform, right? And then when that is snatched away, it's almost like being in the Cirque du Soleil, like all you've known is performance. Oh, yeah. Now when you thrust it out in, in the real world, it's like, yo, I've been so used to saying, I'm going to run faster than you. I'm going to jump higher than you. I'm going to punch harder than you, right? Until you like tap out that now it's like, it's a different type of beast. That hustle is, is different. Nobody owes you pretty much anything. And, and I've learned that at this at this magnitude of my life, like here I am sitting at 34 and it's like, I have a lot, you know, and I want more, but it's not a greedy type of thing. I was just talking to, uh, you know, one of my business partners in, in logistics and I was like, bro, I honestly could live off of $20,000 a month. Somebody probably saying that like, yo, twenty thousand. Like, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, but when you think about seven children, uh, provided for two different households, I have two mothers, uh, two baby mothers. That those are my responsibilities. See, what I'm saying, uh, family, certain things too. It's like, yo, those are the things as a man, as especially as an alpha, that you got to take into consideration. And when I put my own things. In place, it's like, okay, this is me budgeting my life. Now, I'm lucky to have a 
pulling cycle that I can pull from and say like, yo, like I can live comfortably without fellowship. You know what I'm saying? Fellowship is all also residual income that I can spend the the assets that I can get from fellowship alone can pay for my liabilities in, in life, right? So all in all, you know, going through that transformation and, and, and really getting into the real world of business, a lot of athletes are faced with doubt for the, for the first time in a long time, uh, not being accepted for the first time in a long time. You got guys with tattoos, guys with dreadlocks, guys that don't necessarily look like the normal IBM uh, uh, Silicon Valley type of person when you walk places and big strong necks and strong arms. <laughs> and like, what the hell are you gonna do besides, you know, tackle somebody, right? But you just have to conform. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And, and, and I consider myself to be a chameleon. Like, you put me anywhere, bro. Like, the hustler in me, that collar paw in me, bro, I'm going I'm to figure it out. And that's just some of the things that you just have to learn over life. Yeah, so in a sense, it feels like business has saved you or comforted, comforted you in a sense where most people who have elevated to that level of success might go into a mental state of depression, Yeah, might go into a mental state of confusion, whereas you had Fellowship, you have Masika, you got Fourth and One. All these different businesses have helped keep you occupied, but keep almost competitive nature in a different sense, right? Like, yeah. I wanted to have the best restaurant. I want to have the number one hack. I want to have yes. the North media. These things have now taken the place of, I got to win. We got to make it to the Super Bowl. Right. Like, I don't... And bro, my girl will tell you, bro, like, I don't even know if she tracking my phone, but she knows when I leave the house, when I leave the house, I ain't coming back until it's dark. Like, I'm not the guy that's going to just lay up all damn day and just, you know, kick shit. My dad wasn't like that. And he instilled in me, like, bro, have some business about yourself. You feel me? So when I leave throughout the day, I consider myself you know, a CEO of four different companies at the same damn time. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, I got a production company, Iconic Saga. I have a logistics company in the car and away. I have C1N, which is semi uh, philanthropic, but my way of giving back to the younger generation. But we do events. It's an events company. We, we do seven on seven tournaments. We do uh, youth, youth uh, football games and things like that. Right. And then obviously the restaurants and I have to be present and be able to compartmentalize all emotion and not allow one to affect the other. Because if I were to ask, you know, and I'm looking at him right now, like one of my producers, Amari, if I say, yo, bro, tell me about the car in the way. Like, he probably was getting content of me on one of those adventures, but he couldn't tell you the essence of how that business is going. Similar to if I were to tell Jeremy, like, yo, bro, like, tell me about Iconic Saga. It's just that competitive nature to me. And I resorted back to being in the locker room. It's like today, okay, I got to lead uh, a team meeting or offensive meeting going over, you know, certain plays that's going on, uh, going in this week for this particular team. Okay, then after that meeting, I now have to go up to talk to the head coach or the GM, right? Then also the media team wants me to do 
Uh, shout out to all the fans. But also after that, I got to do dinner with the owner. It's so many different things that I've always already was prepared for that now living it is crazy that I didn't even know I was being prepared for. So I know you drew a lot of inspiration from street pharmaceutical entrepreneurs. Um, Money Making Mitch had a great line when he said, I, I love the game. And he was saying like, he just loved just being a star in the street. You, one thing about football, a lot of people don't know football players. We're masked athletes. Helmet syndrome. Mm -hmm. But quarterbacks, star quarterbacks, people do know. Mm -hmm. So you're one of the few people that actually people like know who you are, right? So you're, you're, you're not just a player, you're a star player. That's a whole different element. And you still looked at as Cam Newton. So how does that relate to you in business? And I'm sure people treat you differently. Do you still, how do you carry yourself knowing that you're a star, knowing that people look at you differently? How does that affect how you move and how you communicate and how you operate? Because you don't have the luxury of just being a regular CEO mm -hmm. that nobody knows coming passing. Everybody knows you. Right. Um, I knew early, this was high school, college. I knew my worth. Like, I know I'm, I'm different. You feel me? Like, not even, you know, Sison or anything like that. Like, I just knew, like, I know we different. You know what I'm saying? It's like that lion's mentality. I don't got the biggest bite, not the tallest, not the strongest. But my bravado, my the way I carry myself, the way I I prepare is just gonna be on a different level because my vision was different. So my core values that I believe in personally is like the way you dress. My father taught me the way you dress is the way that you are addressed. You know what I'm saying? T teaching me that at a young age, making sure like bro like. If you're wearing a suit today, man, make sure you know how to tie your tie. Making sure you know how to tie your bow tie. Making sure that your socks is, you know, if you don't want to wear socks, cool. Being presentable in that type of manner. And everybody who's a part of my conglomerate, whether it don't matter if it's peers or business constituents, they know that is going to be true. Cam is going to be on his, on his game. Now, everybody around, the best way to lead is, number one, by being what you preach. So with that, it's, and I don't have it now, but I always write certain things down. Like I'm a writer. So I don't like using my phone with the notes and certain things like that. Like if I have to do something, I'm, I'm old school. I still carry around like a handheld uh, calendar and things like that. But as, as I was going and as I am going in my everyday life, my mental was something that was curated by things that I saw, the exposure that I was, that I was, I seen how people reacted when they saw me. You know, I was one of these, you know, people that they don't just say Cam, like they just say the whole name, Cam Newton. Like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, I don't Joe, know why. Like Joe Montana. Like Joe, like yeah. one of those situations. Yeah. It's like, yo, when somebody says my name, like, yo, your boy Cam Newton in here, then you feel me? Like, and, and little kids, I, my, my heart always goes out to the kids. And when I go to my son's football practice, like, ah, oh, mama, let me take a picture with Cam Newton. Cam Newton. <laughs> like, it's. So do you ever get tired of that, though? Is that something that you just like, I'm just here just to, I just want to just go to Walmart one day? Oh, of course. It has its moments, bro. But 
I think right now where I'm at, bro, is I want to be uniquely me. I always want to pr promote uniqueness, right? Like you don't have to hide your gut aside. You know what I'm saying? And I think I got, I wouldn't say penalized, but people, it was hard for people to kind of see how authentic I was or was it a, was it for show? It's like the same cam that they know at one business is the same cam, like high energy, you know, real uh, vibrant with, with everything, very intentional. Because like, it's like, bro, like I made a decision really after like 2015 that that clean cut sh was pretty much out the door for me. Cause either way, you was gonna f with me or you wasn't gonna f with me. Didn't matter how clean shaved I was, didn't matter how much I was willing to say the proper politically correct thing, like they just wasn't gonna f with me. So I prefer to impact the people who look like me, who act like me from where I was from to give them hope to say like, bro, Cam did it. I could do that too, you know what I'm saying? Not just on the athletic you know, prowess, but you know, from the business standpoint too. Like I love going into banks and I see folks with dreadlocks and carrying themselves in, in, in a distinguished manner, you know what I'm saying? Because that's, that's power in itself. Yeah, so that's when we start to grow the dreads. And it's interesting, because when I think about you, I think the number one trait and everybody can see it, you can feel it when you walk in the room is confidence, right? That's the number one thing. Yeah. I wonder when you walk into business meetings, even when you're unsure, do you show up with the same confidence? Because a lot of times we walk in, if especially in our community, if we don't know, we'll shy away. We'll kind of even if we do, we'll dumb down ourselves to fit in the room. Never. You showing up with the same I'm confidence? I'm never going to dim my lights to let somebody else shine. We're yeah. gonna shine together. You feel me? Yeah. And, it, and, and it's not egotistical, that's not narcissistic, that's not, I'm just that person to say like, bro, I want your business in a major way, I need your business. And if you don't want me to be a part of it, I would prefer you just say, no, don't lead me on and do this and do that. Like, bro, mm -mm, that, ain't, that ain't how I rock, that, that, that ain't how Cecil Newton raised you. No, sir. So, so you logistics company. Yes, sir. Trucking? Yes, sir. So talk about that. We actually had a, um, we have a truck. It hasn't really worked out too good for us. Trucking business is a pretty hard business. Tough. Yeah. Especially like after the pandemic and it's been pretty difficult these last couple of years. What made you get into trucking and how has that been going for you? Man, I should have brought my partner with me too. But uh, transportation industry as a whole is a trillion dollar industry. You know how many minorities gets a piece of that pie. Less than, we're talking about globally, I would say less than 10% of it. Hey there, ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah, or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. 
Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before. Domestically, less than 5%. When you think about trucking, there's so many different factors in trucking or transportation. You could do warehousing. You can do uh, intermodal. You can do over the road. You can do ship. It's, it's a lot of different modes of transportation. Well, when it was when it's bought to me, it was certain things where, matter of fact, you got your phone, yeah. right? I want you to Google this. And I have a brokerage company. I want you to Google the annual revenue of C.H. Robinson and share with the people how much that says. 20 billion? Annually. Yeah. Yeah, you read that, right? You see what I'm saying? Nobody's talking about that. Because when you think of- C.H., what is that? What's C.H. Robinson? It's a brokerage, it's a global brokerage company, right? And I'm, I'm, I'm gonna explain it to you. But when you think about the four most wealthiest men in the United States, give me one. Elon Musk. Elon Musk is in transportation, obviously because of Tesla, Tesla. right? He transport human beings. Give me another one. Jeff Bezos. Jeff Bezos is in transportation too because he... Transport, Amazon. Amazon. He transport packages. Who else? Uh, Zuckerberg. Zuckerberg. I don't necessarily know about Zuckerberg, but for the sake of my argument, let's say Bill Gates. Bill Gates. Let's use him. Right? Um, he has a railway, or he, I think he sold his shares, but for the longest, he had a railway company. Railroad. Right? Warren Buffett. I was going to say. Berkshire Hathaway. Right? Also another railway company. Mm-hmm. These are four pinnacles of a Mount Rushmore of wealth that they are wealthy because they know where the money is. Transportation, logistics is recession proof. I would admonish anybody who is watching this to somehow, some way, get into transportation, right? I'm trying to tell my son right now, like, bro, you're trying to be a pharmaceutical, you're trying to do this, you're trying to be a this, that, and the third. I'm like, bro, transportation is where it's at. Because whether the market is high or low, it's either going to go back to base or it's going to go, go up. Now, I'm not telling you to, to invest in trucks. I'm not investing you to invest in trailers. What I am saying from my standpoint is, as a brokerage company, a broker is, is the liaison. You're, you're a broker? Yes, sir. Okay. So, so you 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 like the middleman? The middleman. I get a percentage off of every single thing. C.H. Robinson, they own no assets. So you don't have a truck. Don't want no truck, right? For for purposes of of this. Yeah. yeah no, now sure. I I have to have assets because we're so young. So therefore, I do own trucks right now. But the long term, the five, the ten, the twenty year plan, I don't want no. So assets. you you the low. It's like the load board, right? You guys are negotiating the deals from the low board to the to the drivers. So we only use the low board just for uh, pricing okay. things. In transportation, the money comes 
from the contracts. So now, you know, shout out to my dog Jeremy, right? Being an asset to the to the business is saying you're Cam Newton. Everybody knows who you are. You can go knock at Nike, Under Armour, Puma, mm-hmm. Kroger, Publix, chicken industry, poultry industry, uh, Best Buy, Target, Walmart, all these different companies, and I just need the logistics coordinator at these different things. Right. So if if Nike has to get something from Tennessee to Atlanta. So where I come in, so to so let's look at it like this. You have a customer, which is a brand. Right. Right. You can let's for the sake of it, give me one. Nike? Nike. Right? You got Nike here. Then you'll take a trucking company like Cam Cam's Transport, which is a trucking company, right? Yep. And Nike doesn't want to talk to Cam Transport, so therefore Nike hires a broker to communicate as a representative of Nike to speak to that truck. So if we have new Jordans coming out, boom, you may not know it's the new Jordans, but we have a shipment coming from China. So when you know about the biggest uh, shipping ports in America, you have to mention uh, Long Beach, LA port, because that's the, the geographic yeah. to China. Mm-hmm. And then obviously Newark, New Jersey, mm-hmm. because of Europe, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Savannah is a big port too. You got Charleston, things like that. But for Nike, Nike will communicate with the broker and say, hey, we have 62 loads, or it may be more or less like 500, you know, loads that you got to bid for. You bid for it, now we use the DAT board, D-A-T, truck stop, right, to quote lanes, but it's dedicated freight. So we'll get the loads, boom, we're, we may be out of 500, we may be awarded, let's say 62 of them. Then we see how much the customer's going to give us, then we also take what the, the carrier is going to charge us, and we just make a percentage. You do that times a thousand loads a month. Yeah. And those contracts aren't, they could be monthly, they could be No, it's, it's, it's for a year, but you got to bid. Right. But the, the thing about our people is they don't know that that's a thing. That's a thing. That's what I access the information, right? That's why it's important right. to even yeah. have this conversation because that was, even I didn't really fully understand. I know the aspect of how we're in it, mm-hmm. but I didn't, what you just provided some good information that I think we wasn't even really aware of. But th- that's the hard part. And it goes back to uh, like me being stuck with the real intro to mainstream America because folks don't got to answer their phone. They give a damn who can. Who? Uh, yeah, all right, I'll call you back. Boom. It's just, boom. Before I came here, bro, I had 50 calls that I had to make to carriers. Oh, so you're, you're calling them yourself. Bro, I'm in the field, bro. In the field. I, I have to, I have to negotiate different quotes because boom, it's a broker is, is simply like this. You have to find the right truck in the right place for the right price. If you can factor in all those things, then you award that carrier with that. Now, if you were to say, how much money are we talking about for a given load? 
you're talking about long haul or short haul, long haul meaning anything over a certain amount of miles or short haul, which may be interstate with Georgia to Georgia. Now you're talking about long haul, it may be Georgia to Texas, Texas or like California to New York, right? These things may cost the company $2,000, $3,000, but the broker make his money by the percentages off of that. So 20% of $2,000, whatever that number may be, it may not look like a, a lot of money to you, but when you start factoring, we're moving this one lane seven to eight times a week, and that's one lane. We're not even talking about the other 62 that Nike awarded us. That's how you get $20 billion. And that's a global company. So we're not just talking about Georgia to Houston. We're talking about from Europe. To China, to, to Africa. It's, it's a lot. Bigger picture. I like you said that you're back in the field. So when we started by bringing out the food, one of the things you had here is the vegan sliders. I know you invested in vegan food. Talk mm-hmm. about the, the, how that came about and the, the goal of it as far as healthy eating inside of our community. Man, that's essential. And even though Earn Your Leisure is promoting wealth, the best investment for you personally is health. You know what I'm saying? Being cognizant of what you're putting into your body. I've been vegan, veganese for close to about seven years now. When I say veganese, I depending on how I'm training or how I'm working out, protein from eggs or particularly cheese. I don't, I've never uh, dabbled outside of that along my journey, but that's just something that's always been a part of the discipline and, you know, staying fit, you feel me? You can have all this money that, in the world, but you ain't able to spend it or be able to give it to somebody, you feel me? It's for nothing. So, media. A lot of athletes go into media, and you're in the media now. I know you have a, a show. You're going over, you know, sports, but it's done in a different in a different capacity, mm-hmm. from my understanding, right? Um, how does that feel to be on the other side, actually critiquing players now when you used to be critiqued? <laughs> and right. how how did you come about creating fourth fourth and one, right? Fourth and one. So we have many different IPs, intellectual properties. Uh, up under the business umbrella of Iconic Saga. And you have 4th and 1, you have Funky Friday, right. uh, and all YouTube productions where it may be a vlog or a short or anything else comes through that hanger of business, right? Well, when you're talking about media, and obviously, you know, at this particular point, they're still on strike. One of the, the guys I started with, uh, David Ricks, Waldo, he was like, bro, you have the unique ability to share what people want to see most that ESPN can't even get if you don't allow them to get. They don't care about the on-field cam. They care about what do you do after the game, preparing for the game. And now, along with all these business ventures, I can say, like, I'm a YouTuber now. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But it, it, it is, it's still a business in itself. And a lot of players should understand their value of being the guy that people want to see. You might as well get paid for it, right? Now, I'm, I'm still very reluctant to show 
a lot of intimate personal stuff, my children, uh, certain demographics like that. But at the same time, it's still a price tag on that, on everything that we show. Um, I always tell people about just the social media blueprint of what platform pays. Obviously at the top is YouTube, right? Then second, I would probably say Facebook still. Yeah. Then you could probably have TikTok, but everybody wants to doggone post on Instagram. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Instagram ain't paying. So that, you know, do it for the gram. You know what I'm saying? Do it for the, like that shit right there ain't getting you no money. Take that property that you have that you'll probably shoot on, on Instagram, make it a little longer from about three to potentially eight minutes and put it on YouTube. Right? We've seen this whole metropolis of talents come from hither and thither. Right? Got streamers now. Like they literally sitting behind a camera just talking and voicing their opinions. Well, when it comes to that, I'm able to do that also. But when it comes to the sports show with fourth and one, I felt like it was my duty to hold everybody accountable, not just from the player standpoint, but I also wanted to protect the players too, because there was a lot of insight coming from people who've never played the game. You know what I'm saying? Like, bro, you ain't never played in front of 90,000 people. So how the f are you going to be able to say he trash or he's not working out or he's not doing the proper things? And that's why I kind of feel like a gatekeeper to a degree to protect and, and, and say like, bro, so-and-so, stop. You ain't never shot a basketball before, meaningful basketball in front of people. So, but I do understand that they, they, they do have their job. So I just wanted to create a, 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 a many different platforms that I own that's all, as I would like to say, low lifts for me. I love football, I love smoking cigars, I love really being around people in a way that you might as well just show the world that you have that capability as well too. Oh, Ken, my brother, it's been an honor and a pleasure. Yeah, we, we can't get out of here without mentioning the hats. Yeah. We got to talk about the hats. Yeah. We watched you. I remember, like, after every game, win or lose, we knew you was going to show up and stuff. Had to. Like, I, you might have been the first person that they had to follow from the car. Say that. Say that. Where's the camera at? Say you that. You might have been the first person that they had to follow from the car through the, through the stadium to the locker room just to see what you had on. Now that's a regular thing. Regular it's, it's become part of the. It's part of. It's part of. I mean, each sport, yeah. every sport, every sport. Yeah. Keep going, on, huh? Keep yeah, yeah. Going. <laughs> but even win or lose, at the end of the game, we knew you were gonna come out dripped in something. The hats became a thing. I, I know every time you watch Sunday Night Football, they had to show your press conference to see what you were wearing. To you turned it into a business, man. Talk about Masika. Masika hats. Um, but really, it's two things. Can I can I pop my face? <laughs> Which camera? <laughs> All of them. Look at me. <laughs> Can I talk? No, but again? listen, no. It's two things that I would like to say I didn't do first. I was a part of a group of people that brought awareness to this. Number one in football, pregame cleats. Right? Like you see all these saucy cleats. Bro, when I first came into the league, your cleat either had to be white or black. 
Bro, I was getting fined out the ass. Graffiti on the cleat. For just putting certain, you know, colors on it. And I would do it. I was telling Under Armour at the time when we were creating my signature cleat, I was like, yo, for every game, I want a pregame cleat. This is my way of expressing myself. And I don't give a damn if we playing the Atlanta Falcons. I didn't give a damn if we was playing, you know, the Pittsburgh Steelers. I wanted to have something dedicated to that. You know, so like for the Atlanta Falcons one time, like I was just wearing all red. You feel me? Like even though Carolina blue is Carolina blue, I, I just felt like that was me saying this is my house. You feel me? I'm grown here, not flown here. You feel me? Mm-hmm. So now you see the cleat epidemic take off and it's all right. It's beautiful to see. Yeah. Expression. Also, the walk ups, you know, nobody really was doing it or really caring to do it. Until I was taking it upon myself, because I would look at the LeBrons, I would look at the Chris Pauls, I would look at, you know, all these different basketball players. And I'm like, bro, they got 82 games that they can show their style. I only got 16. (laughs) So I got to make these hit. You feel me? So, boom, I was just fearless when it came to expressing. And that's all it really was. It was like, bro, I had some hits, I had some hits. But in my mind, it was all hits because... I opened up the avenue for people to care what people wore. You know what I'm saying? And I even took that as an opportunity to own the IP. Like when people would go on my Instagram or go on my social media, they would see, you know, me walking up and things like that. But now when I look in the league or wherever, it's just like it's it's like a theme now. Yeah. It's become a fashion show. Yeah, even sure. um I forgot I forgot his name, but he's from he's from Africa, I think, and he's been wearing or African garbs. Yeah, I saw seen that. that. You seen mm-hmm. that? The whole yes, NFL. Sir. So it's a damn. Westbrook, he's. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Who are you watching that you like? He's swagging. It's a couple folks, man. Um, receiver, uh, Devontae Smith, Saucy, Philadelphia, um, Philadelphia Travis Kelsey, uh, obviously LeBron James, um, um, Russell Westbrook. Uh, Chris, uh, Chris Paul has a very niche style that, you know, it's pretty cool. Um, uh, Joe Shiesty. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, it's it's a lot of guys that, man, I love to just tip my hat to and say, like, I see what you're doing, dog. Yeah. Keep doing it. You know, I, I ain't like, bro, I'm a lover, bro. Yeah. I ain't no hater. I'm going to give props on props, dude. You yeah. feel me? So anytime I see... Athletes using their platform to 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 pipe their shit, bro. I'm piping it with you. Hell, I'm pouring more gasoline. <laughs> but that oh. turns that turns into May, right? For you, May, yeah. Oh, or Mashika to to oh. to the point, yeah. right? So uh, my hatter or Milner, as whichever you want want to call it, I met him in in L.A. He was actually working for another hat company at the time that I always get my hats kind of mistaken by, but it's a Mashika hat. Right, Berto, and we now have two stores in uh, Montana. And the state of Montana? Montana, Bozeman, Montana. And uh, LA. Why, and why Montana? It's a big hat market. It's a hat culture? Cowboys. Like, you know. They really win. Real like, cowboys. Yeah, Some real they, cowboy they, type they, Yeah, yeah. But the appreciation of a person sculpting the hat, and I don't take shots at, you know, no other hat company that's just buying their hats already made. These hats are curated from hands. So 
that's why the price is what the price is. But, you know, all in all, man, I'm always promoting expression, even if you don't even have to open up your mouth. So you already know what type of time I'm on by the way I look and the way I dress or step outside the house. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Cam Newton. Y'all don't let the food get Cam. cold, man. <laughs> That's Cam. Yeah. What's yes. It? We out. Yeah! Oh, no, no, no. You got to do it like this. We out right now? Here we go. Here we go. One finger. One pinky. One thumb. One love all together. All together. One, one love. love. One love. Ally is a leading digital financial service company and the nation's largest all digital bank. Ally is proud to support creators in music because they understand the economic freedom that hip hop has provided black musicians, entertainers, and entrepreneurs. With that being said, we had the opportunity to reach out to a local business while we were in Atlanta shooting with Cam Newton. We found a dope entrepreneur who's making noise in their city. We would like to officially and financially honor the hustle of Love Renaissance Studio, AKA LVRN. LVRN is an independent record label and management company that focuses on building artist careers. The company is based in Atlanta, Georgia, and was founded in 2012 by Carlin, Justice, Junior, Sean, and Tunde. Few artists that they have signed to their label are Summer Walker, Black, Davido, DJ Spinall, Ayana, Sadboy, and North Ave Jax. Now let's actually hear from one of the co-owners, Sean. Pleasure to meet you. How's it going? Good. Good. How are you? Pleasure to have you. Let's jump right into it. We would like to ask you two questions about your perspective for entrepreneurship. Hip hop is a trillion dollar ecosystem. Coming up in your career, what money habits did you form to set yourself up for success? I think you have to blow your first check. It's just like the rule of the game. But every time you kind of elevate financially, you learn a couple more things and a couple more things. And then you learn that you actually have to really pay taxes and you learn that you have to really put money aside. And then you start to realize what are assets versus what are liabilities, what a plain Jane watch may retain in value versus what a bust down watch may retain in value on the fun side. But then, you know, on the, the less fun side, you know, different types of properties and things of that nature. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think it just comes with time. It comes with, um, access to information. It comes with access to funds. Um, so yeah, my money's incredibly important, but the experience with it, I think, is even more important. What financial tips do you provide your artists? Yeah, I'm, we're we're incredibly forthcoming with our eagerness to make sure that everybody's financially literate. Um, there's nothing worse than. You're not doing anybody a favor by giving them a million dollar check with no knowledge of how to treat that money. Um, we're really hands on in helping our artists find business managers, um, making sure that they have, you know, uh, the right CPAs around them, uh, making sure that even the way that we distribute the funds, if, you know, they're a really young artist and maybe, you know, they should take the money in disbursements monthly versus one big check, you know, really just trying to help protect people from themselves um as well as you know the 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 pressures of the internet to make you do things that you probably you know shouldn't do yet and um yeah you know for for, for us um you know we've we ourselves have had to learn how to deal with large amounts as well as small amounts of money so um our perspective is really close to the artists that we are uh, decide to 
you know, have on our label or manage. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Financially honor the hustle presented by Ally. an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cut off ba-da-ba-ba-ba